ask you to uh, turn uh, with me, please, and uh, to Luke 18. Luke 18. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Luke chapter 18 this morning, verses 1 to 8. And we're going to be talking about uh, prayer for the next couple of weeks. Let's pray before we talk about prayer. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Father in heaven, we love and praise you and we thank you for the Bible. Lord, please forgive us if we've neglected the Bible some this week. If we didn't count it as more precious than gold, yea, even fine gold. We pray that you'd forgive us, Lord, if we didn't meditate upon it day and night, if we didn't treasure it in our heart. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us if we allowed the cares and the distractions of life to choke out the fruit that comes by the Spirit's application of the word to our lives. We pray that this Sabbath day you would prune away those cares and concerns of life that the word could be put in good soil and bear much fruit. Lord, we pray that you give us an increase, 20, 30, even 100 fold. We pray that your spirit would minister as I preach, both to the preacher and to the congregation alike. We pray that you'd search us and know us, Lord, see if there be any wicked way within us that needs repentance today. We pray also, Lord, that you'd encourage us because you gave us this prayer and parable to encourage. And so, Lord, we pray that we would go away encouraged to serve you in prayer. And we ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Now look at Luke 18 with me, please. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 and want to read down to verse 8. This is commonly called the parable of the importunate widow. Now hear the Lord's word. Now he, Jesus, was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Saying in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city. And she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while, he was unwilling. But afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will God, well, excuse me, now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long Over them, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Amen.
Now, we are talking about prayer uh, these next couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about the need today to uh, persevere in prayer. Next week, we're going to be talking about the need for humility in prayer, not to be self-righteous, uh, coming like a Pharisee and thinking we're heard because of our piety and our own merits. Uh, we need to trust in Jesus Christ when we pray. That, boys and girls, is an important lesson. Uh, that our audience with God is only because of the person of Jesus. Without Jesus, we could never have been heard by the Lord, at least not favorably. Uh, and the Lord would send his wrath against us. Well, there are four things I want us to think about in this prayer, uh, excuse me, in this parable. Um, I think you probably know the story. We'll rehearse it. But four things I want you to consider. First of all, number one, this, the purpose of the prayer is found in verse one. The purpose of the prayer. This is a parable. Uh, excuse me, I said the purpose of prayer. The purpose of the parable. It is to uh, persevere in prayer. The purpose of the parable. Excuse me. Number two, verses 1b to verse 3. The problem with prayer. The problem with prayer. The problem with prayer. Then thirdly, perseverance and persistence in prayer. Verse 4 and 5. Perseverance and persistence in prayer. And then finally, verse... Six and eight, six through eight, section four, stands a personal appeal to pray. Personal appeal to pray. So four things. One, there's a purpose to this parable. Two, there's a problem with our prayer lives. Three, we need to persevere and persist in prayer. And then finally, and a personal appeal and application to pray. So let's consider this parable here in, in these four parts. Now, Jesus here, if you look at verse one, he says, now... He, Jesus, was telling them a parable. Now, of course, Jesus told many parables and the parables often really were a form of judgment against the people because of the hardness of their heart. And so sometimes even Jesus would have to explain the parables in private to his disciples because sometimes even they didn't get the meaning of it. But here Jesus is giving us a parable and this one is actually to encourage us. And the reason it's given to encourage us is because I think he knows pastorally we need encouragement in prayer. We have three opponents. We have the world that is against us in our prayers. We have the flesh ourselves within which because of our fallen nature, there's an internal resistance to want to pray. And then also spiritual opposition, satanic opposition, like you see in Daniel, when Daniel began to fast and pray, he was opposed the uh, he was heard immediately, but we are told that there was some kind of satanic opposition to the prayers. It's a very strange and mysterious chapter in the book of Daniel. But those three things are hindering us from prayer. And Jesus wants to give us this parable because it's a story about perseverance. It's a story about persistence. It's a story about keep uh, going. And, and, and even despite all the opposition and the reluctance that there is to pray, Jesus says, I want you to keep up your prayer life. So he gives us this parable. Notice here in verse one, he says he was telling them a parable to show that at all times, at all times, they ought to pray. Now, I think that all times means that we do nothing but pray. It's not a continuous praying, but a continual praying uh, boys and girls, do you know what the difference is between a solid line and a dashed line is? A, a, a solid line is a continuous line. A dashed line is a continual line. And here Jesus is saying, I want you to pray 
at all times continually. That is, we keep coming back to prayer. It's not that we do nothing but pray, but that as we go about our business, we lift up our hearts to the Lord and we pray and we consecrate everything we do so that whether eating or drinking, we do everything to the glory of God. Our whole lives are lived out as a living sacrifice. And one of the ways you live your life out as a living sacrifice is by continually giving yourself to pray. And that we ought to pray at all times and we ought to keep the fellowship of the spirit as we go about our work this week. You know, Brother Lawrence uh, wrote a book uh, about this and he, he wrote about and, and according to Dr. Ferguson, I remember him saying Brother Lawrence didn't always understand the gospel fully the way he should have in many ways. But he did uh, he did get this point. Ferguson said that he knew that. Life, the Christian life, was about communion with God. Living our lives out before the presence, the face of God in Coram Deo. And that we ought to pray at all times. And notice here, Jesus says, and not to lose heart. And this is because we are prone to get discouraged in this world. We're prone to get discouraged because particularly, oftentimes, affirmative answers to our requests seem to be delayed. And so we are prone to want to give up. We're prone to think our prayers don't make much of a difference. And our flesh, because we are weak, we sometimes want to give up. The devil might try and whisper, why are you spending so much time in prayer? Don't you realize that what you're doing is a waste of time? You're not doing any good. The evil one tries to suggest to you. He tries to tell you that you're, you're wasting your time. Look at how successful worldly people are. They don't pray and look at all they have. You don't have nearly as much as the world has and and they're not praying. And so the devil tries to dissuade you from prayer. The world does as well. The world says, "Why, why are you doing that? There's no point to that. But so we lose heart. We get discouraged when all these things are, are against us. So I want you to do this this week. If you do little else with this sermon, at least think about and meditate on this parable. Because Jesus gave you this parable to encourage you, he says. So that you would pray and and not lose heart. Let this parable become something of your own story. Let it be your own story, boys and girls. Uh, There once was a boy who prayed. You know, there once was a boy or a girl who wouldn't give up. In her prayers, the, the purpose of of preaching this sermon, I think, has to be the same as the purpose of the parable to get you to and encourage you to pray here. And so I want to encourage you in these following ways. First of all, let's look at the problem that we face. Let's look at the problem. Talk about the problem. And then secondly, the answer to that problem, perseverance and persistence, and then some personal applications and appeals for us to pray. The problem. Look at verse again, verse one. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. There's a hint of the problem. Verse two, he goes on saying in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city. She kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. Now, here's the story, boys and girls. So that you understand, Jesus tells a story about a judge. Now, a judge is 
somebody who listens to cases and rules in favor of one party or another. He his job is to discern the particular situation and he is to render some kind of verdict that is in accord with righteousness, that's in accord with justice, that's in accord with the law of God, as summarized in the Ten Commandments. That that was the duty of the judge. The judge was to protect the rights of God's people and to vindicate uh, the righteous, to punish the wicked, to be a, a, a terrorist to the evildoer. That's what the judge was to do. Now, Jesus tells us here, though, there's a problem in the story. Like any good story, there's friction comes to the front of the story. And the friction is this. We have a judge who doesn't care about justice and righteousness. He doesn't care about good verdicts. He doesn't fear God. And he's not particularly interested in helping people. He's in this job for himself. And he even recognizes he's not a good judge. It's like one buddy, somebody said, they went to a congressman, they said, I think you should be on the ethics committee. And, and he said, why do you want me on the ethics committee? <laughs> I'd be on the other side of that issue. <laughs> this, this is a man who's supposed to be rendering justice, and, and yet uh, he's doing the opposite. He doesn't worry about pleasing God in his decisions. He doesn't care about the rights of the poor. And he doesn't care about the rights of the most vulnerable widows. He's corrupt. This is a corrupt man we're talking about here. Isn't that interesting that Jesus would give us a parable on prayer and he begins with a a corrupt official in government? Now, this is not to say God is corrupt. Let me make that application quickly. But there is an analogy here that Jesus wants you to appreciate. Here's a man whose job it is to listen to cases, and he doesn't listen. And a widow here, though, comes, and she keeps coming. In verse 3, there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him. She keeps coming, and he keeps ignoring her and dismissing her case. Now, why does Jesus do this? What does this have to do with prayer? Well, I think it's... It's this. Jesus obviously is not saying that his heavenly father and our heavenly father is corrupt. But I think what he is saying is that there is from our perspective a sense that we go to God and it seems as though he's not listening. It seems as though he's not taking our case very seriously. And we keep coming to him and he seems and I'm emphasizing the word seems and seemingly to ignore us. And even worse, to dismiss us. Now, here again is where the temptation is, because that's exactly what the evil one would try and suggest to you, that God is dismissing you, that God is putting you off. And, and what Jesus is saying is that this is common to our experience in prayer. It is not something that is uncommon. You see, you'll have people on TV who make it seem as though prayer is something easy, and it's not. 
They'll make it seem as though prayer is easy and you just need to ask once. And you'll always have what you ask for if you have enough faith. That's what you're told by the TV preacher. And Jesus is saying that's not true at all. Your experience is more like the widow going before the unrighteous judge. She goes again and again and again and again. And it doesn't seem like her problem goes away. Jesus is saying this is what experience in prayer is like. And for those of you who have been seasoned in prayer over several decades, you know this to be the truth. Many of you have heard my own story when I was converted to Christ in late spring, summer of 1988. And I came to faith in Jesus Christ. One of the first things I did and began to do as a Christian was to pray. By the way, that's one of the best signs, parents, of your children being converted is that they begin to pray. That they, they don't just know the right answer, but they experientially want the presence of God. And they, like a newborn babe, begins to cry. A newborn child of God begins to cry out to the Lord. And I began to pray for my family that they too would come to know the joy of the Lord. And they would come to know salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as many of you know, that it was 28 years before the first member of my family was converted to Christ. In fact, the person converted to Christ was my nephew, and he wasn't even born. He didn't even exist when I began to start praying in 1988. He wasn't born until 1997. And yet, that was the one that the Lord chose to bring next to Christ. Now there's two of us. Now they're outnumbered. (laughs) Now there's two of us praying. But 28 years, that's a long time. Maybe some of you have actually even been praying more. I know we've had testimonies in this church that some have come to faith in Jesus Christ late in life. And and they had a praying mother praying for decades uh, before they came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, That's the problem. The problem is is that the, the, the prayer keeps coming, the praying and the worshiper keeps coming to the Lord. And it seems as though there's no audience with God. And I've said this before. You know, some of you, you you, you know, you were a young Christian and you prayed and and God answered your prayers quickly. And you, you came to the wrong conclusion that that is how prayer always works. No, that's how it works for a new Christian, because you're an infant, you're a baby and God encourages the infants. You feed your baby in the high chair before you feed your older children. So don't think that quick answers to prayer means you're more spiritual than others. Dismiss that quickly. It may mean the opposite. (laughs) It means you have very little faith and God needs to encourage you. So this is this is the problem in in prayer. Jesus gave us an entire parable to explain that this is an issue for us. All right, so what, what then is the answer? I'm not supposed to get discouraged. I get that. Prayer could take a long time to be answered. Well, look at verse 4 and 5. The key here is perseverance and persistence in prayer. Verse 4, for a while he was unwilling. The judge, boys and girls, unwilling to hear the widow. But afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. 
Now, the point is obvious, isn't it? Here's a woman who keeps coming again and again and again and again to the judge. It reminds me of the the movie, if you've ever seen. I can't recommend everything in the movie, so just put that out there. I don't want you to say, what? But the movie Rudy, you know, great movie about persistence and perseverance. Here's a guy who's five foot nothing and wants to play football for Notre Dame. And and, uh, you know, it's about and it's based on a true story. And uh, it's about and he's also a bad student, by the way. <laughs> he has to get into Notre Dame first. <laughs> the trouble is, he's not a good student. Uh, and, and yet, you know, through the movie, he's able to do all that. And and how was it? Well, it was through perseverance and persistence. And that is Jesus's point, is that the woman keeps coming back and again and again. She's not put off. She's not uh, discouraged by the fact that he won't listen. She feels so strongly about her case and her situation. Her situation is so urgent, maybe even vital to her own life that she keeps going back. And, you know, you get a sense of this in other places in the scripture, don't you, that the people that Jesus seems to be most astonished with in terms of their faith were people like that. You remember the Syrophoenician woman, for example. You know, Jesus put her off a little bit, didn't he? She came to him and her child is terribly demon possessed. And she keeps coming and, and Jesus is ignoring her. And even the disciples are getting annoyed by this woman bothering Jesus, trying to get his attention. He's ignoring her. And the disciples say, won't you send the woman away? And so Jesus finally turns to the woman and says, it's not good to give the bread of the children to the dogs. You don't make a meal and throw it on the floor. And that was intended to stiff armor in a way, but it was done so for why? See if she'll persist. See if she'll persevere. You know, I knew a liberal professor in college who said he couldn't believe in Jesus because of that sentence. And he missed the whole point of it. The point was to bring her to faith. And what's the idea? Well, the idea here is that the, the bread of the children is or the good, the substance, it's Christ. Christ is the bread. It's not good to give the, the bread to others when God's own children aren't getting it. And Jesus came unto his own first, he said. But his own were unwilling to receive him. But she said, and she latched on, didn't she? She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Every family's got that kid who's the messy eater. <laughs> and the crumbs are falling on the floor. And your dog knows where to sit, doesn't he? When my dog was alive, he always plopped himself by whatever kid of yours was in the high chair. He always knew. When that plastic high chair comes out, put yourself at its feet. Because he said, that's where the good stuff ends up. And she has that kind of faith. And she says, yes, Lord, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he said, I haven't seen such faith like this in all Israel. Go your way. Your child is healed. And so... We, we are taught in many places in the scripture that we are to keep coming. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 11 says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 7 says, ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence and give him no rest until he establishes 
and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Give God no rest. Bother him. Keep coming again and again and again. What is it that we are to seek? We're to seek the kingdom of God on earth. We're to seek the kingdom of God in the new heavens, in the new earth, until that heavenly Jerusalem comes. We are to keep praying and asking thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 22. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. Thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Here God is challenging his people because they have grown weary of prayer. Luke 21 verse 36. We'll see this in a few weeks. Watch ye therefore and pray always. You could look at Luke chapter 1 verse 35. Anna was 100 years old and she was not weary of prayer. Continuing to give herself, we're told by Luke, the physician in prayer and fasting. Cornelius is commanded in the book of Acts because why? He prayed always, we're told in Acts chapter 10. Luke, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 12 and verse 12 says, be devoted to prayer. Ephesians 6, 18 and 19, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. Colossians 4, 2, again, like Romans 12, 12, devote yourself to prayer. First Thessalonians 5, 17, pray unceasingly. First Peter 4, 7, be of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So time and again, we see that we are to be giving ourselves uh, to prayer, wearing out God, wearying him with coming. Make him say, oh, no, here she comes again. <laughs> now. Having said that. Let's look at the rest of this. Parable here, because here's the personal appeal to prayer and, and in many ways, the application for us. But this is where the rubber meets the road. We we need to be encouraged to pray, but it's not any good if we don't actually pray this week. We don't actually pray this year. Notice what Jesus says. First of all, he says in verse six, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. He says, listen to the unrighteous judge. Let me repeat. What did the unrighteous judge say? This widow bothers me. <laughs> we want God to say this woman bothers me. This church bothers me. This family bothers me. Day and night they're praying they're expecting, they're asking, and they give me no rest until I give them the blessings. They keep coming and, and they're going to wear me out. So Jesus says, number one, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Why do you need to listen to the unrighteous judge? Because arguing from the lesser to the greater. If an unrighteous judge will answer favorably. A woman who can't put anything in his political coffers. And just because he's irritated carnally by her regularly coming. How much more your father, who's not unrighteous, who loves to hear you come and pray, who delights in the voice of his children, who wants to hear you coming with petitions, who's honored by the fact that you bring large requests. How much more favorably will he answer you than an unrighteous judge? Here again, we don't want to come away thinking that the father 
is the same in character as the unrighteous judge. Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. We see this. He does this elsewhere. He's saying, you know, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give what is good? How much more does your father know to give the spirit of God? Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. If it be true at a human level where we are dealing with imperfect, sinful people, how much better and glorious is it when we're dealing with a perfect and heavenly father? So I don't want you to think, boys and girls, that God is like this unrighteous judge in the sense that he is stingy. So why does God delay, you say? Well, many times I think it's because he has work to do in you. You see, prayer is not just for those for whom we pray, but prayer many times is for the prayer. The reason God is often doing his best work by making you come again and again and again and again. Sanctifying you. How many times have you begun praying about something and the more you prayed about it over the years, the more the prayers got refined? Why? Well, because God was sanctifying you. Because there is such a thing as praying amiss. Because there is such a thing as uh, praying for our, our own lusts, James says. You, you have, but you, you, know, you, you have not because you ask not. You have because you ask amiss. Jesus will use your praying in your life to help sanctify you, make you more like him, like Jesus's prayers. Even the martyrs in the book of Revelation were told their prayers in heaven are heard, but they even have to wait. You notice that they're crying out what? How long? How long? Oh, Lord. They're waiting for justice. They're waiting for righteousness, for vengeance, for the wrong that they have been suffered. They they've lost their heads in the cause of Christ and. Now their blood cries out and they, their soul in heaven cries out to the Lord. How long, O oh God, will you delay? When will, when will you avenge this terrible thing that has been done to your people? And what does the response? What does the response from God look like? It says they were told to rest for a little while longer. Wait. So even for the glorified in heaven who are crying out how long. That is even for purposes that don't have to deal with their personal sanctification. He tells them to wait. Because greater and more glorious things are coming by waiting. Answering it earlier, any earlier would spoil it. The father knows what he's doing. He has a good plan. You may not understand the plan. You probably don't. Job certainly didn't. And Job didn't get the answer at the end of the story, does he? Job wants an answer. Job challenges God. God shows up. And says, gird up your loins, old little man. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Did you set the stars in these courses? Does the deer look to you when it's calving? Who are you, old little man? And Job says, whoops. <laughs> That's in the Hebrew. Yeah. <laughs> Job realizes he's got to put his hand over his mouth. He, he doesn't know. God has, God has greater plans than you and I do. We are but as little children. 
And, and just as a little child doesn't understand why mom says no. Or dad says not yet. There's a good reason for it. And we have to trust the Lord. Trusting in the Lord means trusting him even if we don't understand and even if we don't have the answer. Now, sometimes God does give you the answer. Why? And sometimes God will allow you to look back over many years, maybe, and you'll begin to see the reason why. But in the meantime, we are to do a couple of things. Keep going to him in prayer. Keep praying and keep trusting. Keep praying, keep trusting, keep praying, keep trusting, keep praying, keep trusting, keep praying, keep trusting, keep believing, keep submitting yourself to the Lord, wear God out, tire him with your prayers, weary him. Now, boys and girls, I'm using language from a human perspective. You can't wear God out. God, God does not grow tired. Now, notice what Jesus goes on. I want to bring it to a close here. He says, now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Will and will he delay long over them? And, and the presumed answer here is no, he will not delay. That even though it looks like delay to us, even though the psalmist says, Lord, how long? God in his good time will right all wrongs. God will bring about his kingdom. He will bring about his justice on the earth. He, he will, our, our cries, our tears are not in vain before the Lord. The Lord will do what is good and right. He will show mercy. He will avenge. He will bring about justice. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. God will bring all of that about in the, in the kingdom, in the new heavens and the new earth. And so Jesus is here reaffirming us. He's encouraging us to keep praying if you keep wondering, is this really worth it? Is it worth it? Is, is, is all this prayer worth it? And the answer is yes. He's not delaying. Look at verse eight. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. Now, this quickly, I think we need to understand as an is is an eschatological quickness. <laughs> Many of our prayers won't be answered in your lifetime. But it doesn't mean that God is slow in coming. Remember what Peter tells us. That a thousand years in our lifetime is like a day under the Lord. And so don't consider it. As though God is somehow unfaithful. When you hear worldly people saying, where is now your God? Where where is the second coming of Christ that you speak of? It's been 2,000 years and he's still not here. You keep praying. You keep trusting. Because God will act suddenly. And there will be the shout of the archangel and the sound of the heavenly trumpet. And Christ will appear suddenly like lightning as we saw just recently from like lightning flashing from the east to the west. And suddenly it will be upon us the new Age, God will bring his judgment between the righteous and the wicked and he will send the wicked into hell and the righteous will be comforted at his right hand. And we will be with the Lord always in resurrected, glorified bodies. He's not going to delay long over those who died in the Lord, whose bodies are asleep in Jesus in the grave right now and whose souls are present with him. He isn't delaying long over them. 
But even as he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will raise them from the dead. He will raise you and me from the dead. And he will bring about righteousness in the earth. It will flow down like water from the mountains. It will be the kingdom of God will be from like the river to the ends of the earth. That the knowledge of the Lord will cover the world like the ocean. The water covers the oceans. It, it, all of that is coming to pass. And it is coming quickly. But it is an eschatological quickness. You know, I'm going to say one thing else by application here. Because notice here Jesus says. He's asking us a question, isn't he? At the end here. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, I have read books on eschatology, and some of those books make much about this verse. Is Jesus going to find any faith when he comes back? Is there going to be a church around? And some try to answer it one way or another. Let me suggest to you, this is not a question about end times. Do you remember when I talked to you? When we were talking about the man who shouted out to Jesus, are they few that will be saved? Y'all remember that? And do you remember how Jesus answered that indirectly? You remember what the answer was? Are they, Lord, are they few that will be saved? And Jesus says, see to it that you strive to enter through the narrow gate. What was the answer? He didn't answer directly whether they are few or many that will be saved. He said, you just make sure you're there. I'll worry about how few or how many are in heaven. And I think Jesus, in a way, is doing that here with prayer. When he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That is not, I think, an eschatological question. He's asking, will you be praying if I come tomorrow? Will I find you in prayer this week, if I was to return? I think it's a much more personal question. I think it's a challenge. Jesus is saying, am I going to find faith on the earth? The response is, yes, Lord, so long as I'm on the earth. That's how you're supposed to respond to this. Lord, as long as I'm here, you will find faith on the earth. By the way, they are many who are going to be saved. That's, if you want the answer to that eschatological question. But we need to watch out against presumption. Is he going to find prayer on the earth? Let me rephrase that question. Because that, what is faith here? Faith in the context of this parable is what? It is expressed in prayer. Isn't it? Is he going to find prayer in this church? Is he going to find prayer in your family? Is he going to find prayer among the elders? Is he going to find your pastor this week in prayer? Lord, I hope so. You remember what Samuel said? It would be a sin if I did not continue to pray for you, he said to Saul. When Saul said, pray for us. Sam said it would be a sin if I didn't. Is he going to find us at prayer? You know, Sinclair Ferguson uh, has told the story many times. I've heard him, if you're familiar with his teaching and his preaching. 
you know, as a seminary professor, he has the opportunity to speak at lots of churches. This was before he, you know, became pastor at First Presbyterian in Columbia. And the first thing he always did before the service started is he took the bulletin and he looked in the bulletin and he asked himself, are there opportunities for prayer in the bulletin? Are there opportunities for prayer in the church bulletin? And he said, sadly, all too many times, the answer was no. And he said to himself, I wonder how these large, huge things got accomplished without prayer. You know, Jesus said that he's going to put our churches to the test. He's going to burn them with fire, he said. And the fire is going to judge not the quantity of the work, but the quality of it. Jesus is going to burn our work. And he's going to see after the fire burns it, what's left. Was it all hay, wood and stubble? Or were there good gems in that work? Was there was there precious treasure? And the only way there will be precious treasure left after the holy fire that Jesus sets to the work of Covenant Presbyterian Church is if Covenant Presbyterian Church did her work with much prayer. Again, to quote Ferguson, we don't pray for the work. Prayer is the work of the church. Amen. Let's pray.